I, Charles the Fourth, or is it the Third? Bloody man! We will strive for the denazification of the Let me put it to Yes, if you win by one, you've oh, won. The phone went over the side of the phone. Oh, excuse me, I just think everyone should be sure. What the fuck is going on? Part of the ACAST Creator Network and also available on Patreon. Hello, I'm Mark Steele. Welcome to episode number 60 of my podcast, where even after all these weeks, I still find myself asking the question, what the fuck is going on? What the fuck is going on? This week, we found out that, according to the census, less than half of the British population say they're Christians. Lots of Conservatives and Nigel Farage were fuming about this, which is a shame because I thought they'd be delighted. I expected Farage to scream, at last. How much longer were we expected to go on worshipping this Middle Eastern son of God when our own British sons of God are ignored every day by our political system and by the BBC? Furthermore, this chap Jesus wasn't prepared to work, sometimes disappearing for 40 days into the wilderness, no doubt expecting the taxpayer to pick up the bill. And God was the same. For example, the book of Leviticus tells us The foreigner who resides with you shall be a citizen among you. You shall love the foreigner as you love yourself. So Jacob Rees-Mogg should make a speech in Parliament that goes, The British people must be congratulated for no longer being Christian. The Bible is a catalogue of woke nonsense, probably created by the European Union. And in Deuteronomy, God goes even further when he commands that one-tenth of the harvest is handed to orphans, widows and foreigners. I expect Farage would say, that's typical of an elite figure like God. It's all right for him. He doesn't live in the real world with the common person. He's always at a dinner party in his five-bedroom cloud out in the suburbs. But strangely, the conservative leaders claim that they're big fans of Christianity. So there must be another bit of the Bible that goes, and God did stand upon the cliffs of Dover, and a dinghy did sail forth, and foreigners, including children, did reach out from them. And God did say unto them, will you not fuck off to Rwanda for a start? So the decline of Christianity does mean we have to alter a few things. For example, bishops are automatically given a seat in the House of Lords. Now we'll have to fill it with scientists instead, such as Professor Brian Cox, and he can make speeches that go, my feeling on the government's transport bill is that our sun is one of 40 billion stars, so it doesn't really matter in the great scheme of things. And once a majority of the country is atheist, we'll need an atheist Church of England, so songs of praise will go, We will now sing hymn number 358. Praise the cosmos for creating the earth out of a lump of very hot rock that flew through space. Nigel Farage was also furious that the census revealed one in six Britons is now born overseas. And this has clearly been a calamity as people such as Mo Farah, Ben Stokes and Emma Raducanu have been able to come over here and destroy our British sense of pride. And Farage must be especially angry about Boris Johnson, who was born in New York and came over here. And look at the damage he did, causing Brexit and ruining everything. We're too soft, Nigel must think. We should never have let him in. And another trend that angered Farage is that a higher percentage of our population is non-white. 
And this, he says, is changing the nature of England. One thing we could do is to have separate World Cup programmes for people who are disturbed by the influence of black people on our culture. And it could be hosted by Nigel. And all the goals scored for England by black players such as Rashford and Saka and Sterling or Bellingham wouldn't count. And then our team would go out much quicker, having lost every match. And Nigel and his mates would once again feel properly English. New figures about immigration were revealed this week and they seem to have upset some people, especially this woman who I heard on a phone-in. Oh, well, I'm sick of it, Jeremy, sick of it. I've seen them on the television, loads of them coming over from all these different countries, Morocco, Tunisia, Japan, Brazil, Wales. They're allowed to walk straight in and instead of being sent to work or put in a camp like in civilised places, they're allowed to play football. Someone said, it's in Qatar. I said, well, that's only tiny. They haven't got room for all those extra people. It's no wonder Qatar isn't any good at football. What with all these foreigners going there and taking over all their football playing jobs? I expect they're goalkeeping for less than the minimum wage. What chance have our goalkeepers got if someone's going to save goals for less than them? And they're sent to be interviewed. But instead of being asked why they didn't apply for asylum at the first country of entry, they're asked whether they're going to play 4-4-2 or have three at the back with the fullbacks pushing up. Then they put them up in nice hotels. Well, who's paying for that? Me, with my council tax that I pay to Qatari Borough Council. <gasps> I expect they're giving all that money to lesbians and gays. Oh, I'm sick of it, Jeremy. Sick of it. Oh, what the fuck is going on? Now, any week that you're trying to work out what the fuck is going on, you need the most expert of advice. And if if you were this week trying to find the expert, the subjects on which they would need to be experts on would be football, Iran. Unfortunately, we couldn't find anyone who knew anything <laughs> much about those subjects. So instead, we've got Omid Jalili. Oh, how are you? I'm very well, Mark. It's lo- lovely to see you. Now... We'll start, we'll start with the important bit of all this. All right. This is complicated, as I know, um, with my life being the way it is, that uh, Iran in the football is complicated. It might not be the most important part of it all, but I know that um, uh, I've watched two of the matches with Shappy and she's gone through about five different stages of turmoil with each one <laughs> do i watch it if i watch it who do i support do i go and sit in the kitchen and ignore it uh, and and so on so have you been the, the same what do you given that um given all that's happening in iran in iran at the moment it's, you know with football look you have to say that everything in our world you know including football is kind of interwoven with politics and at the end of the day you either stand with the voice of the unheard or you continue to feed a system that that cut their voice because, as you know, in Iran they've uh, they've cut the internet. And it's really interesting that they've cut the internet, but the supreme leader Ayatollah Khomeini he still he still does Twitter, so people are angry about it and they <laughs> gather outside his house protesting, and they always ask the security forces, "What's this all about? What's the protest about?" Because it's not the protest; they're just trying to trying to get the Wi-Fi hotspot. People say, "Fazal, do you have two bars? I've got two bars. Have you got two bars?" No, I've got one bar. I've lost the signal. You know what? This reminds me when I was in Wigan. You know, this Wi-Fi bullshit. That is brilliant. That is a brilliant idea. That's why they have to move that to move his royal palace. 
the signal here is shit, I'd have to go on the roof to, <laughs> exactly. to go to fucking Facebook. <laughs> exactly. I cannot connect. I have friend. I cannot see picture of of funny dinner he have. <laughs> I am I at all and I cannot get fucking signal <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is it's not, that's what it is do you know what I don't know if you watched last night it was the Poland-Argentina game and BBC did this um, very oh, yes, interestingly yeah they, they did this yeah. little look back at the Poland-Russia game the 82 World Cup yes was, it was brilliant Solidarność yeah 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 it was brilliant it was a brilliant. Poland had a brilliant team. They had uh, Zbigniew Boniek, and it was uh, it was a they were a brilliant team. Then they'd had um, yeah, as you said, solidarity. Lech Walesa, and it was always in the news. I remember being fifteen, and even I was aware something was going on. And I, when I think this is what's going on with the the generality of the public, they see Iran v USA, and they think, oh, hang on, there's something tasty going on here. So I remember watching USSR versus Poland and thinking, oh, this, this gets a bit political, isn't it? It's, uh, are they going to be happy playing them? And I think the game finished. I think Poland needed a draw and they got through to the semi-final. Yes, and, yes. But I remember, it was, it was, I remember Barry Davis saying one of the most politically charged football matches in the history of the World Cup. Well, yes, I could so, tell you so that, just a second, just for people yeah. that, that might not know. So the uh, Soviet Union, uh, which was very, uh, Poland was very much part of the sort of satellite of uh, satellite and country. Good, I, I think it's explanation now, because even at 15 and even now, I'm not 100% sure what was going on. So it's good well, to I, explain. I remember because I was very, very excited by it because I was a little bit older than you. And I was, so I was about 19 when uh, Solidarność happened. So, Solid, so independent trade unions were banned in Poland and indeed all of the Eastern European countries and the Soviet Union. And this independent trade union uh, erupted, led by Lech Valencia, who was an electrician in Gdansk, in the, the, the north of the country, and by a woman called Anna Valentinovich, I believe, who was a crane driver. One of the reasons why the crane drive crane drivers were the sort of centre of the of the beginning of the revol- of this sort of movement was because literally, right, the crane drivers they could sit up the top of their crane and they could read stuff and nobody's no no, no officials or anyone is could see what they were doing because they were at the top of a bloody crane so Anna Valentina, a woman who was um uh, in oh that was I think she was in Quebec anyway um can't remember the name of it the town but that but the, this movement erupted an independent trade union movement Solidarność that I think 11 million people joined in yeah it was huge in a month or something yeah so uh, amazing and threatened the the Soviet Union and the world and then Poland played the USSR right at that moment and then uh, eventually of course the Russian tanks went in. And if people are following this and remember the game, we just remember there was a lot of people uh, shouting solidarity. There was a big bloke with a big Polish moustache who then later won called Lech Walesa, who went on to become the president or something. He, he, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's yeah. all I remember. And but I think it's perfect. You, you've you've explained it really really well. So look. So that's so that's the context of Iran versus USA, um, which and actually Iran at the World Cup anyway was going to be huge because um, there was it, the big question was is this a team that plays under the name Islamic Republic of Iran? And as I'm sure Shapi's explained right now with all the revolution going on, which is the most wonderful, you know, it's the first girls revolution in the history of mankind and i always say that we have the suffragettes who were just trying to get equal parity with men but these women they want to bring down the government and they want to smash it to pieces because they know they'll they'll never be they're not just demanding their equal rights they're taking them because they know we can't live in a world with reforms no this lot have got to go 43 years 
of, an, of, of a brutal Islamic regime, which now we're calling them a terrorist state. And, and you know, they call themselves a terrorist state. They've had so many uh, court cases where states have been trying to take them, they're trying to sue them for blowing up ar army barracks and things. And their defense is, no, you, we don't recognize you because we are a terrorist state. And they prove it and they win. So this is a terrorist state, all right? So for the people of Iran, what, what messages are the players going to give to show that they are with us? And that was a big thing. And before, the, before you know, we, they got to the World Cup, they did do certain things. There was a, their striker, Sadar Azmoun, who plays for Bayer Leverkusen. He wrote um, an Instagram post that says he denounced the government, so this is terrible, we should stop it. And then he was made to apologize. He took the post down. Then the players together before a warm-up game against Senegal they all wore tracksuit tops during the national anthem. You, you're supposed to take off uh, your tracksuit tops, then sing the national anthem. And they didn't take off their tracksuit tops because they didn't want the Islamic flag being shown. So we got the messages that they are with the people. And then the way the regime spun it, they called them in to meet Raisi. And the, the, he's the president. He's the president, yeah. And yeah. He's, he's the butcher of Iran. He's someone in 1988 massacred 5,000 people. He's now, he's now the bloody president of Iran. Um, so the players had to go there before like a send-off. And they did this doctored, or, or, or the, 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 the images went out that they were bowing to them. But that's also like when you get up, when they, they were saying the names of the players, they would get up and say, like, like Ruzbe Cheshmi. And it was him basically got up and he does that, which is also an Iranian way of like, thank you. But they were like saying they're bowing, they're bowing to their yeah, yeah. Uh, superiors. So, so that's when they lost it. And there's a great picture I put in one of my videos that the goalkeeper bows and then and the defender looking up at him going, oh, Jesus Christ, that's, it's over. It's over. We, we've lost the people now. So even I, even I thought they don't represent the team. But then they surprised us against England and didn't sing a word. I, I mean... That was a very powerful moment, wasn't it? I mean, for people who, who, who don't know, uh, that was, um, uh, you know, because you know this is not, this is some jeopardy. This isn't like some futile gesture. And I'm quite quite a fan of a futile gesture. But, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, we've all done plenty of them, haven't we? Yes. Oh, do you know what? I kept my fingers crossed when I, or, or whatever, you know. But uh, but this was a futile gesture that's extremely uh Courageous and um, it was, yeah, and the, uh, yeah, it was, and, and they, they, and they just refused to sing that. And then they were, they were rebuked. So the question here, uh, what I uh, ask, I mean, is this, and this is one of the uh, one of a couple of questions that I find it very hard to get a sort of to get my head around at the moment. I mean, I suppose we should just. I mean, there might be people who don't know the the, the spark of this and the spark of, a, of an uprising is never is is. Just the spark. I don't want to demean it, but the spark of it was a, a woman, Masha Amini, was murdered by the uh, magnificently named Morality Police because her uh, hijab didn't cover her hair properly. Yeah, properly. That yeah. was the. That she was, was going the spark for like a driver awareness course. That's yes. what that's what they were trying to take her, like a, a hair on the veil awareness course. So uh, yeah, so the claim was that Masha Amini died of a heart failure the, by the most extraordinarily awful coincidence at the exact time that they were beating her to death and she died of a heart failure. So of course you could claim that for anything. They could say, all the people we've shot, they didn't die because we shot them. They just all had a heart failure at the moment we shot them. Terrible luck keeps keeps happening. It just the horrible, horrible, horrible uh, um, um, state of affairs. So, yeah, clearly it's about much more than the, the hijab. Not that these aren't you know, extraordinarily important uh, 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 dynamics, 
but it's about much more than that. But now this regime, clearly it's it to this regime, it matters enormously, this. It's not just something that they can just fritter away, that they can let go, it seems to me, because these sorts of rules about hijabs, the Islamic law and so on, it's how it defines itself, it, how it, it sort of, we are a nation separate from the West and so on, and therefore it matters absolutely fundamentally to us that we maintain these medieval laws. They would also have no qualms at all about being utterly merciless. They would do what the Chinese did in Tiananmen Square and not think twice about it, but they haven't done. And it seems to me, I don't know if I'm being over-optimistic here, but it seems to me that the reason they haven't done is because they fear that the army would split. They fear possibly even that the police would split. They fear that, I know that there have been oil workers that have gone on strike we believe. Yeah, all uh, workers, and, workers, they're all on strike right now, yeah. So that's a dangerous time for a regime. And it can't, it, because it's happening in every town, they can't do what ruling powers often do and bring in regiments from elsewhere and so on. It's not simple to do because there doesn't seem to be any area of the country where, where the demonstrations aren't popular. And so it, it's a very, very dangerous, fragile time for these for these bastards, isn't it? Yes, we hope so. So, so I, I didn't. Go, what, did you have a? Are you saying that they, they, they haven't brought in the army? I didn't quite get the question. I think Mark, that so. they have. I think that they have brought in the army, but they they don't they don't order an absolute massacre. Uh, you know, on the lines of what the what the Chinese government did. That's what I was thinking at first. I thought, is this going to go the way of Tiananmen Square, where the protests grow and grow, and then the army brings in a, uh, and then the army just massacres people? That's what I, I yeah, yeah. feared. Now I, that I, hasn't happened. It's not to say yeah. it's not they haven't been brutal and foul, but they haven't been able to to destroy the uprising. No, completely. No, and I think that's it's very interesting that we heard um, a government, someone close to the government was commentating uh, that before you get to the mass murder, I mean, they're already killing lots of people, but before you do the Tiananmen Square, 4,000 people in a day massacre, um, they have said that child killing, killing children is a legitimate military tactic to break the spirit of people. So you, you kill a few children and then people said, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to go. And they've done that. They've targeted children. They've targeted, um, from the very beginning, young TikTokers, young girls who have been, there was a girl called Serena Esmailizadeh, who was quite open and 16, but saying things like, why is there freedom in the West? We see on TikTok, but there's no freedoms here. And they just weren't, they weren't really having it, basically. They're, yeah. they're the children of my generation. My generation, we saw this and we just thought we better shut up and say nothing and that's that's the best way to go but these children these younger people have, have risen up so they've been killing these people some of them is age seven and ten there's a guy called Kian Pifalak was shot um and he wasn't even protesting but they're, they're very happy to shoot people and to take away the bodies as well so the families don't have to have they're just denied a burial right so so that's where we're at right now. They're still killing people, hoping that it will quell. But unfortunately for the regime, every, one, every child they kill, more people. There, there were, there's videos I'm seeing of, of children on their way to school chanting. There's classrooms chanting. Um, it's kind of amazing what's going on. And 
we're at that standpoint where, as I saw with one video, where that you're just going to have to kill everyone. I saw one guy that was protesting and then he comes up to security forces. He goes, listen, you're just going to have to kill me. So they shoot over his head. He's no, no, not over my, you got to kill me. You got to shoot me. And they go, boom, boom. They pump him with four bullets and he drops dead. And the person taking the video goes, oh my God, they've just killed him. And even that won't stop them because you've got women coming forward, go, going on their knees, their hands up, because shoot us. That's what you have. To, you're going to have to shoot all of us. So that's where we're at. We're, we're in, in, in the history of humanity, I don't think we've seen that as clearly in modern times where the yeah. movement are now saying, we are peaceful. And if you want to kill us, you're just going to have to kill us all. That's what they're saying. It's incredible. And do you know what, Mark? I'll finish with this. And this is really interesting. And I think because you're a comic and I'm a comic, I think you should know this because we all think that comedy is not that powerful. And I've, I, as I got in my 50s, I realized making people laugh is not the end. It used to be the end. It used to be like, you know, I always tell the, uh, the audience, please keep the laughter coming. It, it, it really heals my, my childhood wounds. I need the laughter of strangers to validate me. And, and laugh, people laughing at me was the end. Now it's not. Laughter is a jokes are like with you. You've inspired me for years. You use humor to make your points. So I can tell you now. I can reveal to you now. And I'm I'm not bigging myself up. But during the pandemic, what I did was I got my Farsi up to scratch. I started speaking Persian. I got asked on a, um, a even Shappy did. There's a guy called Sina Valiola who does a, a talk show out of London on a Dubai channel. It's called Chan Shamibar Sina, and uh, he said, you've got to come on my side. My Farsi is not good enough. Even me and Shappy were thinking, we're raising off Persian is not good enough. They said, just come on, we'll edit it. And I went on and it went viral. And then, and then he said to me, do you want to host a show? I'll be the guest. So I, ho I did my first monologue in the Persian language and it went really, really well. And then BBC Persian gave me my own show. BBC Persian is a massive platform, 100 million people. So I did this show. It's a little half hour. It's called Tonight with Omid. And it's, it's a kind of hybrid between a, a studio talk show and, and comedians in cars getting coffee. So my first, my first um, guest was a guy called Tehran, who's half black, half Iranian. And then we did that on BBC Persian and it went viral. And we got 120,000 comments on the Instagram page. With, wow, with, brilliant. With amazing comments. And, like, and I said, is there any bad comments? Because no, it's all good comments. I said, oh, well, you go, yeah, there's one bad comment. I said, what? They go, someone said, Amid Jalili's Persian is shit. It's a bit like it could only be it could only be compared to the English spoken by Osvaldo Ardiles when he moved to Tottenham. <laughs> he Tottenham. He goes, what a what a wanker! So that's the worst comment they had. So, but 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 Mark, this is the interesting thing. It went out on uh, BBC Persian is a channel that is is broadcast inside Iran. Okay, now. I asked them how many people watched it. They said it's a minimum 12 million people. We can't even tell, but it's a minimum 12, pe 12 million people watched your show. Now, here's the thing. I'm not a Muslim. I'm a Baha'i. The, the Baha'i faith is, um, is a faith that is very much, you know, banned in, in Iran. And, um, and I was the first Baha'i on Iranian television since 1978. And a lot of the comments, people say, people are going, oh, hello. How come he's got a show? How's that possible? How did the regime allow this? How could that be allowed to happen? I never mentioned it. I just did a funny show. I did lots of, did lots of 
couldn't do knob gags or anything, but I just did a fun. It was a funny show. I haven't done an English, but I'll show you the English version. But it was um, it was very well received, and people say, "Hang on, how can this be allowed?" So within Iranian society, people say that's a massive shift. So I'm not saying I'm the one who's caused the revolution, but it is interesting that the powder keg moment was with the hair because people were thinking, "Wow, it's the first time we've seen comedy. Comedy was not is not allowed on it." So. I think that fact that I went in covertly and did a comedy show in Iran loosened something. Must have done. And when this regime falls, as we hope it does very soon, then uh, the television panel shows that will be over here, be diversity. You'll have to have one Baha'i on every... (laughs) Exactly. On on eight out of of ten pigs. There'll be... (laughs) Brilliant. (laughs) I have to say, I'm I'm much more shallow than you, uh, Omid. I just still want the laughs. And that's why, to be honest, we'll scrap most of this and I'm going to replace it with an interview with Joe Pasquale. Well, listen, mate. Thank, thanks for having me. I'm a huge fan of yours. This is a, a real pleasure. Uh, to talk I, I mean, it's been uh, absolutely brilliant. And will you come back when when they've gone? Yeah, when, I'll come back when Khomeini is living in a suburb of Paris. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll do a little update. Update. Uh, here we go. They're all they're all in Paris, and we're we're outside his house trying to get a Wi-Fi hotspot. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Omid Jalili. A pleasure, sir. Thank you. In the World Cup this week, Canada were one of the countries that got knocked out of the group stage, but it did bring to mind a little-known story about Her Late Majesty. For the man who witnessed it firsthand, Lieutenant Colonel Sir Ambrose Chislehurst Artichoke. Well, I mean, during an idle moment, I was perusing the Canadian soccer team, I believe they're called in the World Cup, rather a hapless effort, bless them, and, uh, and you know, it all, all put me in mind of the most wonderful, wonderful image that I have of Her Late Majesty, because I believe very few people are aware that on top of everything else, she was an absolutely marvellous lumberjack. Quite extraordinary. I mean, uh, she's, she's sort of Canada as part of her dominion, you see. So, I mean, she would sort of regularly go out there to visit Inuit and you know, the people of Montreal and the Quebecois or whatever. And uh, while she was out there on one occasion, there was a rather sort of uh, urgent call for some uh, timber to be felled out there in the Yukon Territory. And she just said, I'll do it. She saw it part of her civic duty. And off she went. She just bought a chainsaw from the hardware store. And the next thing, there she was strapping herself up. A hundred foot up in the air, these trees <laughs> felling branches and shouting timber. <laughs> and then she, she saw it as a hobby. She came back and, um, well, she was at Sandring there and the forest needed a lot of clearing. <laughs> and I remember on one occasion she went out on the afternoon to, to clear a few trunks and there was a oh, huge oak. Oh, massive, monster of a tree. And, uh, well, she heard this scream as it collapsed, and it was Prince Philip. He was out there hunting buffalo. <laughs> I think he declined to inform her. And, you know, this thing absolutely landed about six inches from him. <laughs> oh, my goodness, he didn't half yell. But uh, I mean, he saw the funny side of it later on. <laughs> Nonetheless, what, <laughs> what a remarkable woman she was. Thank you so much to all those of you who are now supporting us on Patreon. It is because of you 
that we can continue our quest to find out what the fuck is going on. If you would like to join these wonderful, virtuous, beautiful radiant people for as little as £2 a month, just follow the link on our Twitter page or go to www.patreon.com and type in what the F is going on. Or to really be in the advanced guard of what's going on this for just four pounds a month you will get a longer ad free an ad free thing as if such an object can exist in the modern world version of the episode with extended interviews and bonus sketches this week there is fred truman giving his expert advice on the housing economy you'll also be able to take part in ask me anything sessions and get a discount on tickets to our live shows which are now happening very, very soon. And uh, you will get the podcast on Friday nights, unlike everybody else who has to wait miserably until Saturday morning. So go to www.patreon.com and type in what the F is going on to join the WTF community. Now, it has come to the point in the week that I cherish, I wake up in the night with excitement about the time when I have to read out announcements. There are people who just love doing announcements. There are, I'm sure there are people who just get married so that they can say, uh, now, before we, uh, before we carry on with the evening's entertainment, here are a few announcements. And the announcements are usually stupid things like, please, you are reminded not to set fire to the chairs. Please do not bring any nuclear missiles onto the dance floor, as we have had to sign a disclaimer with the uh, with the church that we won't actually be ballistic in any in any way. And if there is a war declared uh, with the neighbouring parish that it will just be fought by conventional means. So if you can, just try and make sure, please, please, I know you all want to chat, but please, these are very important. So here's the announcement. All right, no, but these are more these are more exciting announcements than that. We are going to be doing another Ask Me Anything session on Monday, the 12th of December. This is a session in which anyone who is part of the, the sort of Patreon, Patreon clique of the WTF community can just... Click onto the I don't know the the downloady thing whatever it is the link and uh, yeah and, and just send me a question it can be anything it can be it's like gardener's question time except anything they they have it fucking easy they know it's going to be about begonias or azaleas or, or Venus flytraps or bloody compost or something you can ask me absolutely anything. the only difference is they are expected to know the answer whereas I almost certainly won't uh, but. Certainly, in terms of asking the questions, it can be absolutely uh, anything at all that you that you like to ask me, and hopefully, it will be one of the few things I do know about. Not, for example, although I do know it now, didn't at the time, which female rapper was in Fast and Furious Nine? <sighs> so, there's uh, another big. That's on Monday, the twelfth of December, in the evening, seven, I think. Uh, but uh, you know, I can't be absolutely certain about that. Um, now we are also going to be doing. This is very exciting. Our first ever live show on Tuesday, the January the twenty fourth. That's January the twenty fourth, which is a Tuesday at the Bill Murray Comedy Club in Islington. So the Bill Murray is a place that anyone in sort of London who goes to comedy things will 
probably know about the Bill Murray Comedy Club in Islington. Um, tickets will go on sale very, very shortly, sometime this week, I think. And if you're a £4 a month patron supporter, you will get a discount and you will get the first chance to buy those those tickets. And it's going to be on Tuesday, January the 24th. And I think there's going to be all sorts of people who've agreed to come along. I think Mike Concrete is going to be there um, teasing out opinions. And I think there's a woman who in a cafe who's certainly going to be coming along and someone on a phone in and Fred's going to be there. Uh, it's a shame, actually, because there's someone we were going to ask who's suffering from a, an injury, but we will be having deceased cricketer Fred Truman and, uh, and all manner of things. So by this time next week, I reckon we'll be able to make that an announcement, one that is not just, oh, yeah, at some point we're going to be somewhere. But January the 24th at the Bill Murray Comedy Club. Um, also, I'm doing a load of live shows next next year from something like the 4th of February or one of those dates, starting in Derby. Somebody did ask for more details about it, but that's enough, isn't it? Derby. Uh, and then there's going to be something like 45 places I'm going to go to. Inevitably, when they go on sale and the list comes out, there will be people who write to me immediately and go, why aren't you coming to my town? What's wrong? What's wrong with... Uh, Madagascar, why don't you come there? Why aren't, and even if I was, they're going, yeah, but why are you going on the 17th when you know that's the day that I have my driving lesson? But uh, there will be something, like, I don't know. Anyway, I don't know why I told you that because, um, yeah, again, all, I've, all I can announce is that I'm going to a few places next year, which you probably would have guessed. Now, also, people have been getting in touch with us on our Patreon account as well as on Twitter wanting to know what the fuck is going on with certain things. Grumpy Girdle at Tanya AGT at Tanya AGT on Twitter says, I woke up at six, checked the cricket and fainted. I've been listening since 8.30. And like Mark Steele says on his podcast, I'm wondering what the fuck is going on. This is not the cricket I grew up with. It's exhausting. Now, for people who don't know cricket, and I would guess that's about 1920ths of you. So what has happened here is that cricket traditionally was a game in which the whole purpose of it was to just exude tranquility at a rate that was so ferociously calm. And uh, I'm going to use a word I'm not sure what it means, somnambulant. I think that's it. But it was so utterly packed full of nothingness that you could just wander. And the whole point of it, people would say it's pointless. And I've said this many times, the whole point of cricket is to be pointless. That's its virtue. What sort of sport has a point to it? International shopping, all the marvellous things, even if you lose, you've got all your onions for the week. The, the whole thing of sport is it doesn't really, really matter, although I'd say it does. But cricket especially, hours could go by without anything of any importance whatsoever. You would go and have an ice cream, you would sit and look at the, 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 uh, the clouds. Now, there's been this new sort of drive to make cricket exciting. Uh, ben Stokes, who people who don't know cricket may know because he once punched someone in a car park. And I have to say that if he punched me in a car park, I would consider it an honour. But, uh, and Brendan McCullum, who's the current manager of the England cricket team, have decided that cricket must be exciting. And, uh, of course, lots of people are going, this is amazing. They're, they're whacking the ball in all directions and knocking it out the ground and all that sort of thing. And, of course, there are a great many traditional 
followers of cricket who think this is absolutely outrageous. You know, that I always found this when I was in a political party <laughs> that had like five miserable members. And uh, sometimes you get a couple of new people come along and, and the old members are going, well, they're spoiling it, asking interesting questions and getting there early and being enthusiastic. And I think there are a lot of institutions like that where people go, oh, it was it was much better when nobody came because there's a nice little sense of routine about it. I think cricket's gone a little bit like that. People who used to watch cricket for the calm are going, what? They're saying, as Grumpy Girdle points out, what the fuck is going on? I say we must embrace it. When they do crazy things, it's no good going, I mean, I've never heard of anyone at all who's from a cricket background, who may or may not be from Yorkshire, moaning that things are not as good as they used to be in the old days. But I think you have to embrace it or you can become like someone like that. And you have to go, right, okay, they're whacking the ball everywhere. They're doing things where maybe it's a new exciting thing. Maybe there's a new type of cricket where there's a tiger let loose in for three overs a bowl without anybody scoring to sort of encourage the players to be a little bit more exciting and dramatic and adventurous, something like that. The game's... the 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 ground is flooded, perhaps, and piranhas are poured in, unless you score a four, that sort of thing. Similarly on sport, I wrote, Poland are dreadful. I wrote this this week. I want to know what people think about this. I wrote during uh, a match between Poland, uh, in the, oh, it's complicated to explain. There was a point at which if Poland, Poland were going to get knocked out because they were behind Mexico in their group. They were both going to end up level. And there was a discussion about who would go through and it and it was going to be Poland. And that seemed to me absolutely wrong because they were awful. Uh, and there were different ways being suggested of how they would be split from Mexico who were level in every front after their group. And um, uh, they got less yellow cards. That was the reason. I suggested that the way to sort it out would be to decide which country has the bigger cactus. I thought that would give Mexico an advantage, but Chris Elston points out Poland has the largest collection of cacti in Europe and then sent me a link to some bloody cactus farm in Poland. Can you imagine if they did do that? Can you imagine that would be the, the least successful corruption in the history of sport? You Can you believe it? FIFA have ruled that Mexico will go through because their criteria for who is who advances to the knockout stages in the event of a tie is who has the largest cactus. And then the Poles go, no, but we have fucking huge cactus. It is genetically modified 800-foot-high cactus that is double as skyscraper has lived on inside is used for insurance office in Krakow. So, well, I don't know. It didn't occur to me to check whether Poland had a huge collection of massive bloody... Why do they need a cactus in Poland? What do they need one for? That's just a waste of a cactus. We have come to one of the most delightful points of the week for all of us. When I realised that it is impossible to know what the fuck is going on without the voice of the semi-youth. And luckily, we have with us someone bred specially in 
a what the fuck is going on breeding farm. Elliot Steele. Hello. <laughs> there, is that the same sort of introduction you get if you were if you were on a uh, a panel show on Dave? Oh, very good. <laughs> right. So, all right. Now, I, I I think since we last uh, spoke on this podcast, I've watched you in a in another jujitsu tournament uh, with lots of very very muscly people. And uh, one of the things that fascinates me when I'm watching these these things, so and all the training and everything, that there's there's quite an obsession with like diet and, but more than say, I know that all sports people now have got have nutrition and all that, but you're more than that, aren't you? You've got you know all and there's various tablets some people take and that, and the vitamin you know stuff that just well that, that, that's that's more just for wellness, right? That like everyone should be taking vitamin. Especially at this time of year, everyone should be taking vitamin D. What sort of vitamins? What, not just an orange? Well, no, an orange is good. That's vitamin C. But, like, vitamin D is is quite important. That's why people What's get in that? Season, uh, well, vitamin D. It's, 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 it's what the sun gives you. So that's why in the summer you feel better when the sun is out because your body is being exposed to vitamin D. But in the winter, you're not getting the exposure. So you you're more likely to get like seasonal depression and things like that. Oh, all right. So is there anything you can eat that's got vitamin D in it? Yeah, probably. Like grass or just, something. Probably, but it's just easier to take it in tablet form. Because <laughs> it's yeah, I can't. I know. I sort of a bit of me knows this is right, and then another bit of me. I've heard so many people go, "Oh, if you bloody sit naked in a." Barrel of stinging yeah. nettles and shove a radish up your ass. It's good for your fingernails or something. Well, or a, lot of it, a lot of it's horseshit. A lot of it is just nonsense. And I think the main thing is is just like eat relatively healthily. Don't follow fad diets. Don't do five two or keto or anything like that because that's what's be five two. Is that you don't athlete. eat for two days a week? No. So for five days a week, you eat normal amount of calories. And for two, you eat like only 700 calories. But it's kind of stupid. It's a really stupid way of dieting. Because what you should just do is like lightly reduce. If you want to lose weight, slowly reduce your calories to the point where you burn more calories than you're intaking. And if you want to put on weight, just to eat more calories. Like it, that's that's the science of that. And then people just turn, it's like ketogenics where people stop eating carbohydrates, which is one of the stupidest things you can do. So I do, I'm torn with this because I do understand all the, the complaints about fat shaming and you know, people making horrible comments about people's bodies and all that sort of thing. But I do also sort of think when people, when there's an argument that, well, some people are just naturally bigger, obviously that's true to an extent. But also, if you, it's not, it's, Better to if you want to lose weight, you just eat, take in less energy than you. No, expel expel more energy than you take in food. Yeah, don't you do that? But there, are, but is there an argument now that no, that don't won't work with me because of well, my metabolism should, or something? Well, yes, but then you would you would be in you would break physics because the rules of thermodynamics wouldn't apply to you. So that's why that doesn't work. So it'd be like saying, I want my bucket. To be lighter, I took out three bricks 
but it's still heavier because this bucket's got a really, really slow metabolism. Yeah, that's that's pretty much what it is. There's this guy at the moment, though, Liver King, who right. I'm doing a video about him today. He's like, oh, tell easy. us about Liver King. So he's this guy who's like blown up over the last 14 months on Instagram and TikTok. Like it's all media, it's all like savvy business stuff where he walks around, does these brutal workouts, calls everyone primal. And anyone who doesn't follow his thing is like subprimal and basically like uh, goes after men, like being like, yeah, oh, you can look like me, like ripped and jacked. You just have to eat like raw liver and raw testicle and all of this stuff. Raw and, liver. He, and, he, and he does eat all of that stuff. And you probably should eat liver. Like the organs are like the good part of an animal. Raw like, liver? Well, not, not raw liver, but you can eat liver. Like it's good for you. It's high oh, and yeah. It's quite I was, good when for I lived you. On the, when I lived on a council estate when I was about 22, then ox liver used to get out of the butchers. Yeah, that was I had that about four times a week because it was the only. That was all I got to fold. Yeah, well, not that's, that's like quite, you, I think <laughs> if you eat too much of it, it's quite bad for you. Oh god, yeah, I'm lucky I didn't fucking turn into an ox. The amount I used to eat. Yeah, no, I used to have this about every. I had that about four times a week, and then the other three times a week, I invented this meal, which was just lentils with tinned tomatoes, and in about five minutes before it was done. I'll chop a banana up and put that on it. And that was... <laughs> Why would you eat that? Well, because it was either that or having it without the banana. I was living yeah. in a squat. You could just eat the banana afterwards. That was like the other oh, option. It wasn't yeah, that how unimaginative is that? I'd have, there should be a programme called Squatting MasterChef. <laughs> and today we've given them a packet of lentils, a tin of tomatoes and a banana. And... Uh, and I'd win because I use all three at once. I remember once as well having been so hungry and all I could find was some instant mashed potato and some bisto. So I just made a sort of drink with the two mixed in together. Yeah, you didn't oh know. I was God. actually brought up in 15th century Romania. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so this guy, the liver king, it's now been exposed uh, that he, which everyone like kind of knew he was on like ridiculous amount of steroids. So all this ancestral living and all of these nonsense things that he's on about, he's not actually doing. Well, I mean, he's doing, but he is also, you know, doing that, uh, you know, how the cavemen used to do it, where they used to go out, hunt a woolly mammoth, eat that, and then run loads of testosterone and right. Decker and Trent so that they could get massive and stacked. For the, like, it's just like, so it's just like, oh, so you're not just jacked because you're, so you're trying to sell a product. So it's, right. really, it's really insidious what he's doing. That's why, like, his downfall, I'm kind of, like, good, because he's just lied to everyone time and time again that he's not on steroids, when he clearly is. Now, I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with doing steroids, but I think you should be honest about it. When you're trying to sell everyone a fitness product and supplementation and going, no, I've just got this through doing this stuff. And it's like, yeah, but you have also been putting loads of chemicals into your body to alter your, your genetics. What's the matter with the internet there? Is it sort of fucking up? What's the matter with it? Like, I don't know. Like, the whole thing's fucked. Like, everything's just turning I can't hear you. I can't. I've got, I'm just looking at a blank Elliot. For all, I don't know whether he's doing this on purpose, whether this is actually part of what he's talking about, and he's actually just on some sort of steroid that actually freezes him. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you've liked it, rate it, and if you can be bothered, write a review. If you can't be bothered... Definitely write a review. You know the rules. If there is anything at all that you think I should be finding out what the 
fuck is going on with it, please send me a message on Twitter at WTF is going on pod, and we will look at every single message that you send, even if you send a million. If you'd like to become a WTF supporter and get early access to ad free extended versions for as little as £2 a month, please visit our Patreon page. What the fuck is going on? was hosted by me, Mark Steele, with my guests Omid Jalili and Elliot Steele. Voices by Sarah Alexander. It was written by Mark Steele and Pete Sinclair. Music by Willie Dowling. It was produced by Mike Benwell. What the fuck is going on? was brought to you by WTF Productions. 